attention today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and it's a bye week for KU football. And it's a bye week for the Kansas City Chiefs. And KU basketball hasn't started yet. What are we doing ourselves scheduling. this week? Terrible scheduling by the schedule makers. <laughs> How dare they? Unbelievable. Derek, huge news. Oh. <laughs> huge news right. today. Huge news. You know my deal. I'm going to okay. grade it one There's out of ten. There's two parts to this news. One part could be good. The other part's pretty bad. Well, I guess it depends. Okay. The McRib is coming back next week. Is that October huge 31st. news? It comes back. I, but I, no. Okay. The second part of the news is it's it's retired after this time. Uh, there, it's, well, coming, it's coming back I October 31st, it. and it's never coming back again after that. I don't believe that. But what do you mean you don't believe I that? I think it's a promotion. McDonald's themselves tweeted it. Because think about it. Everybody now is going to go to McDonald's to get it and be like, I have to get it now or I'm never, like, if, like myself. I have never tried it. And the immediate thought in my head is like, well, shoot, I better go and, and try it. A lot of people are going to do that. A lot McDonald's of people are, themselves tweeted that it's gone forever. After. I think it's going to be like, a, they're going to say, oh, trick or treat. It was just a trick. Halloween. Ha, ha, ha. McRib is back again after this. There's no way they're going to stop doing it. It's too big of a thing. Too big of a thing. I don't believe it. It's a promotional okay. promotional trick. Okay. Uh, but I will give that a, if it was just the McRib is back, that would have been a 1 out of 10 because it's always back. But because it, if that is true, no. that is an 8 out of 10. That's exactly. a big one. Okay. Yes. That is huge news. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back, so tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Uh, I was looking around at different stuff today. Didn't really want to make any bets on the Bears-Patriots game. Seems like a crummy Monday Night Football game. Let's go with the what I'm going to call the 2013-14 KU player prop bet. So Joel Embiid, over 29.5 points. And anti-Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart under 12.5 points. Parlay those together. Pays off plus 272. Are, are they are they playing each other? Are they no, just, they're uh, not. Uh, Marcus Smart and the Celtics are playing the Bulls. And the uh, 76ers are playing the Pacers, I want to say. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. KU falls to Baylor on Saturday, 35-23. to Got down early, 28-3 to at half. Showed a lot of fight in coming back and made it a game. It was a one-score game at one point late in the fourth quarter, but unable to come through in the end. So there's two ways of looking at this. One, if we big picture it from last year, you just go down the line, and every single team that KU has played this year that they also played last year, they've had a better result against 
if you just base it on points, except for TCU. But TCU's top 10 this year. They weren't a bowl team last year. You lost by seven this year, three last year. So realistically, you have done better against every team you have played this year than you had last year. And that, again, is is true for Baylor. And like kind of the, the inverse of what happened last year. Last year, you had a close game at half and you got blown out. This year, you were getting blown out and you made it a close game by the end of things. But the worst part of that, I think, to me was you go back in the first half because it was kind of a a scenario where you look back and say, man, that was kind of winnable. Like, if you just played okay as opposed to bad in the first half, like, maybe you do win that game. And what ruined the first half specifically is what was so disappointing for me in creating that big hole. It's just that they made, like, too many mistakes. Um, Like, it's one thing to not play good defense, or it's another thing to have a backup quarterback in there, or to have struggles running the football against a good Baylor front. But it's a whole different thing to be fumbling snaps, to have false starts, to have missed blocks, missing assignments, making conservative or weird decisions, and just playing sloppy football overall. Um, We saw some of these slow starts earlier in the season and didn't really come back to haunt you, but against better teams, it's going to. And, And what's so weird about all these miscues and missteps is that you know, part of the coaching staff's messaging is, is talking about these things. Yes, absolutely. Well, and Andy Kolnicki, what's what's been his big thing? Avoid bad football. Well, they didn't really do that in the first half. And and you absolutely hit it right on the head with the with the whole when you when you consider what Lance Leipold is, what he kind of encompasses and his messaging and everything, and so much of it is about discipline, so much of it is about, you know, playing playing smart and not and avoiding bad football, like Andy Kolnicki was saying. And so for the fact that 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 seems to be an issue. It was an issue against Baylor, and it's been kind of a consistent issue at times over the course of the season. It is rather curious because for all the areas that KU has taken some major steps forward in terms of what they've been able to do as a program, it is so surprising that this seems to be an area involving penalties, involving things like fumbling, and that of that nature, that they seem seemingly have taken steps back in those areas this season. And especially when you look at the penalties specifically and turning the ball over too. Those were two areas that KU was pretty good in last season. Pretty good. So it it's it is uh, rather curious and I am a bit surprised by that that for all the areas that KU has taken significant steps forward, the areas that kind of Lance Leipold seems to pride himself on and the program prides itself on uh, in terms of doing the little things, it's it's come back to bite them, not just in this game but in other games also. And also, you mentioned the the slow start for KU. This is now the third game that KU has started to get third game this season that KU has just started in shambles, just completely in shambles, right? And you said it. You said it also against better teams, you're not going to win, right? Houston and West Virginia, you were able to come back and win those games. Baylor's defense is better than both of those teams. Baylor's offense is probably better than Houston. Maybe I mean I know I know they lost to West Virginia, but Blake Shapen was out for a part of that game, so. Baylor's a better team. So when you when you start a game just so dysfunctionally and so out of it, you're gonna you're not gonna be able to win, right? And uh, those are two things that I get. You know, like I said, we're talk- we're eight games into the season. You've had three games where you've started dysfunctionally or basically a disaster start. That's almost half your games. Almost half your games, you're almost knocked out in the first quarter. Yeah. 
And, and that's kind of the thing. Like, Kansas is still I, – I know Lance Leipold, I think, made this comment about two weeks ago. I think it was after their first loss to TCU. He said, I think it was a bit of a realization or, or a reminder maybe for, you know, some of the players in the team that we still are someone that operates on a tight margin for error, and we still do have to do the little things to come away with a win. And that that's what was disappointing there. You didn't do the little things that led to you falling into that 25-point hole and not being able to make it up uh, overall. So all that said, I, I think you still, again, if we look at a big picture, you are competitive with the team you haven't been in, been competitive with in a long time. You fought in a game that, like at halftime, that felt like a Kansas football game from just pluck out your random year over the last decade, like 2015, <laughs> you know what I mean? Where it was just like, oh, here we go again. And, and they fought past that, and they got to a point where it was competitive, where you did have a chance at winning. So that yep. is different, and that does show growth yep. from last year, even though there you know, aren't technically uh, whatever uh, you know wins that you can have from just losing by 12, you know what I mean? Like uh, The second half was just nice to see. Uh, the defense yep. still did give up a lot of yards. Like In the first half, the defense had all sorts of issues. It was kind of the same as the Oklahoma game. You were just getting cut like a knife through butter, whether it was them running the ball, throwing screens or whatever. They converted all these third down and longs. The defense still gave up a lot of yards in that second half, allowed them to to move, or maybe not even a lot of yards in total, because if you look at the total yards in the second half, it's not a ton. But on the uh, there were a couple drives, I should say, that Baylor really did move the ball, but you came away with key stops, turnovers, whatever it was, which basically... That is what you're looking for from this defense. This defense is never going to be a, yeah. hey, we're going to three and out you two out of every three times. It's going to be a kind of bend, don't break. It's going to be a opportunistic defense. Can you make stops in the red zone? Can you make stops when they get to the 50? Can you force turnovers? And they were that in the second half, at least. Another trend that I have noticed that I started paying attention to, certainly over the last three games that KU has dropped, is turnovers. And it's not the trend that you would think, actually. KU has won the turnover battle in two of their last three games. They forced three turnovers against Baylor, only turned over twice. They forced three turnovers against Oklahoma and only turned it over twice. And against TCU, they were even in turnovers. But that doesn't really paint the whole picture of turnovers, right, in these three games. Because when you start to look at it a little bit deeper, the turnovers that KU has forced defensively, the offense has more often than not been unable to capitalize on them. And, in fact, it's hap it happened against Oklahoma, it happened against Baylor, and it happened – against TCU, I believe, too, also, where KU – no, it didn't actually it, – it did not happen against TCU. It happened against Oklahoma and Baylor, where KU forced a turnover and immediately went three and out. Happened twice. It happened against Oklahoma and it happened against Baylor. And it happened against Oklahoma at a pretty critical juncture of the game. And it's kind of the same thing with Baylor, right? When you look at – on the flip side, look at what opposing teams have done with KU's turnovers. TCU forces a fumble at the one-yard line. They go 99 yards and score a touchdown. And that that's basically the game, almost. I mean, I think that's one of the – that's a, set, a, turn, a turning point in the game, you could argue, where KU lost that game. Similar thing happening against Oklahoma and against Baylor. They capitalized off of KU's turnovers. Now, KU did capitalize off of a Baylor fumble in the second half, so that was positive. But the turnover margin for, for Kansas, if you look at their past three games, they're plus two. But that doesn't tell the whole story. They've they have been unable to score off of turnovers as much as you want, as much as you need a team to do, especially when the opposing team is doing that. And that's exactly what's happened over these past three games with TCU, Oklahoma, and Baylor. All three of those teams, when Kansas has turned it over, they have capitalized. And when Kansas has forced turnovers, 
they have they have been able to score sometimes, but not nearly enough compared to their opponents. And I think what you're speaking to there speaks to the larger issue of complementary football. We talked a little bit about that in the Oklahoma game. That Yes, the defense really struggled against Oklahoma, but there were a couple chances that the offense had to take advantage. And there were some opportunities where you could have said, okay, what is the offense going to try to do to help the defense that's struggling here? Could it be something where you play more of possession football, try to have longer drives, try to give the defense a longer rest, and they didn't really do that in that game, albeit I said last week there were several times where you just had big plays, so it makes it a little harder to hold on to the football as long. Um, But you look at the Baylor game, and it was less about can you be a possession team or whatnot. Like They tried to run the ball, it just didn't work. It was more about, like you said, you have a three and out after a turnover or you're unable to muster anything up. And and as much as the defense did struggle in the first half, who knows? What if the offense is able to convert even two first downs on, on drives that were three and outs in that first half? Maybe the score's 21-3 to three at well, halftime just, instead of 28-3. Just kind of a bigger picture concept here. We know college football and football in general is a very, very momentum-based game. And so when you have a defense like Kansas that we know is going to give up yards, we know that they're not a lockdown defense, when they're able to create a positive play for you, i.e. a turnover, and they build that momentum, and then you just give the momentum right back to the other team by being unable to do anything, that that really is a drain, right? Like, you need to be able to build on that if offensively on the other side. And I don't know if it's just, you know, after a turnover or conservative play calling or whatever, but something's got to change there. Like, you got to get aggressive, right? you got to you got to be able to, to turn that momentum into more momentum on the offensive side. And KU has floundered in that area, especially in these last three games where they've had situations again you look at Oklahoma and you look at and you look at uh, Baylor those are two games where they had two turnovers in kind of important situations or situations where it could have changed the tide of the game and instead it didn't right mm-hmm. and against TCU like like I was like I just pointed out a few minutes ago against TCU TCU's defense is getting destroyed by KU they go down the field Jalen Daniels fumbles at the one TCU goes 99 yards in less than two minutes right that's that. That's how you capitalize off forcing a turnover, right? You go score in two minutes, and Kansas, they've been really been unable to do that. And when you look at the touchdown they did score off of the Baylor fumble in the second half uh, of this of this last game, they were the KU defense returned it to the nine. I would hope you would score a touchdown at that point, right? So when they've had turnovers in in you know not that great a field position, they haven't been able to do that. Yeah, and I think it also you know you look at something we've talked about pretty extensively here over the last two weeks the difference between Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean. Uh, The ceiling, some of the big plays that Jason Bean can provide, the physical traits of the speed and and being able to throw very catchable, good long ball downfield on some of these kind of, you know, moonshots down the field. You have this high potential just like you had with Jalen Daniels. I think we saw that in the second half. I mean, KU's hitting all these these balls downfield, whether it's one to Trevor Wilson or Lawrence Arnold or, or the touchdown to Quentin Skinner. Like, that, that is in Jason Bean's game. But there's more lowlights than yeah. with Jalen Daniels. And I think in that first half is where you really saw the absence of Jalen Daniels. Like, that became real. I, I don't know how much of it is, you know, does the team just rally better around Jalen Daniels? Jason Bean is more of a quiet kid. I don't want to be, you know, the... Uh, that's kind of like the body language doctor. So I don't want to do that, but like I don't know. Maybe the team just rallies more around him. He is such an explosive personality, and it's not just that, but it also is. Again, like in that first half, if Jalen Daniels is starting, your floor instead of you being down twenty-eight to three, maybe it's twenty-eight thirteen 
or maybe it's 21 to 10 and you're more in the game where now KU's run in the second half instead of getting them within striking distance wins them the game. Well, and again, when KU when the defense for KU forced one of those turnovers, it was 21 to 3. If the offense is able to go down and even get a field goal or a touchdown out of it, there you go. That's one example right there where you might have been able to build off that momentum. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. And uh, the fact that, you know, with Jason Bean, you continue to to see some of those moments where I, I, there was a play in the first half, I forget, first or second drive, something like that, where, I don't know, it might not even be that. Um, it's a read option play, and he gives it off to the running back. If the defensive end crashed, he would have had huge room to run on the right side. It just it's It's small things like that. Yeah, and, um, and I asked Andy Kolnicki about that specifically mm-hmm. last week, and he said that they run the exact same option plays with Jason Bean as they would with Jalen Daniels, which, rightly or wrongly, I don't I don't know. It's it's obviously not as effective with, with Jason. Yeah. Bean. See, I think what he was saying is that we will use it, but realistically, they're clearly not doing it as much as they were. No. Like we no. see it, it it doesn't look the same as they were doing it before, and and I think there's a reason why. Like, I don't think it's it's because like Jason Bean has all the speed in the world, but just yeah, because you have it's, speed. Yeah, it's not a knock against Jason Bean. It's just that, like we've heard, Jalen Daniels has the vision of a running back. Yeah. And when you have a quarterback like that running a read option, you're going to have a lot of success doing that. And when you have a guy who doesn't have that level of vision, that that style is not going to be as effective. So I guess big picture, once again, you view it as, well, you, you hung in there. You were closer than you've been in the past. Again, improvement from last year. They're right where I predicted them to be. Exactly that too. Even if we go I, like, I predicted them to be five and three right now. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty e- sure. Well, even if we go medium picture, yeah, where we were sitting at five and zero, oh and and you said, well, it's possible they could be five and three or five and four after these next games. I'm yep. not going to panic yet, nope. so let's not panic. Nope, I will let's not wait and panic. see. I don't want anybody to think I'm panicking. I'm the opposite of panicking. He's <laughs> never been more fine. I'm not going to panic. I'm the most calm, mm. grounded person you'll ever meet. When it comes to these kinds of things, I did say though when they were five and zero, oh, or maybe it was after they're five and one, and we said, but if they do get to five and three, they do get to five and four. No, I'm going to start have, wondering in your I've mind stated, have, have those gears turned I've at all? Many times, I'm going to be 100 percent optimistic with zero negativity, unless they're five and five and they lose to Texas Tech. Okay, so they got if five they, week if, and then two yeah, weeks. So figured if they out. lose to Oklahoma State and they're five and four, and they go on the road and lose that Texas Tech and they're five and five, I will be concerned. Okay, until then, full steam ahead. He's the bull. Here we come. <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We uh, got to hear from Lance Leipold after the game. We'll share his post-game audio coming up next. About 20 till the top of the hour. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we're going to lead things off with Case of the Mondays. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Uh, the Chiefs, kind of similar at the start to KU. It was like, uh-oh, here comes another bad start. And we've seen that from the Chiefs before this year. We've seen that from the Chiefs plenty of times with Patrick Mahomes. Did you see that um, stat that was circulating around after the game of it had Patrick Mahomes' winning percentage? And okay. he was like, it was like number one in NFL history. Yep. Number two was like, I forget, I think number two was Tom Brady. Uh, I know Aaron Rodgers was either second or fourth, and then the other one was Tom Brady, and one of them was switched. And the guy who was third on the list was Patrick Mahomes in games where he's down by 10 or more points. Really? So his <laughs> his winning percentage in games that he, is, he has been down by 10 or more points is, like, on its own, 
one of the best in NFL history. I have it right here. Yeah, it was wow. Patrick Mahomes overall 79 winning percentage. Aaron Rodgers 73 winning percentage in second. Patrick Mahomes in games he's trailed by 10 plus 71 percent, and then Tom Brady at 70 <laughs> percent. That sucks, Tom Brady. <laughs> yeah, Mahomes I mean, is good. Yeah, I mean this is this is who the Chiefs are, man. They can just flip the switch at any time and and just be that good, right? It's 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 really awesome to watch, and it's it's great to see and. Miko Hardman, three touchdowns. That was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. Juju yeah, a what a game. day for both of us. Like, yeah. I mean, I've been on the harping, you know, MVS. Eventually, he's going to have, like, a, a really deep play down the field. And he had two of them. Yep. And you've been on the McCole Hardman, like, breakout train. He's going to yep. get touchdowns. He's going to do all these things. Three touchdowns. Three. three. Did you bet on it? I did not, unfortunately. Nick. I know. I didn't even trust my own instincts. <laughs> it's so bad, actually. Uh, but yeah, Mikol's great. I might have to get. I might have to get a Mikol Hardman jersey. Mm. I don't know. Do you so, really want to do that though? Because he's a free agent at the end of the well, year. See, you don't the know is, if he's going to resign. My my jersey luck has actually been phenomenal with the Chiefs. <laughs> okay. Uh, I had a my first Chiefs jersey was uh, when I was like three or four. It was Derek Thomas, mm-hmm. which uh, he was, he tragically passed away. And then my next Chiefs jersey after that was Larry Johnson, I think. Mm. And then I got Eric Berry. And and I have Mahomes. So currently, I have Eric, my only two Chiefs jerseys are Mahomes and Eric Berry. But both of those, so all, all of the Chiefs players that I've gotten jerseys of have stayed with the team, or have been the, that team. The Chiefs have been yeah the exclusively. Team. Yeah. Did Larry Johnson have a? I don't think he did a cup of coffee with anyone. Did I no? Know. I think he. I think he. I don't know. I don't remember actually. He might. I don't know. But it, it doesn't matter. The point. Yeah. So those are Chiefs lifers. So, so exactly. You're saying so do if I want a Nicole Hardman jersey? Do I want to gamble on? Getting a Miko Harbin jersey and possibly mm, he leaves. Ruining the streak. But what if you create the streak? What if by uh, see, you buying uh, yeah, yeah. the McCole Hardman jersey, the Chiefs are the very next day, they're like, yeah, we signed him to a you know, <laughs> four-year, I don't know what he would get in the open market, $40 million contract. <laughs> Be all yep. about it. All right, Derek, did you see this? Juju, Juju Smith, post-game, claimed the difference for the offense against the 49ers was that he, Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, and Marquez Wallace-Scantling Won three consecutive Call of Duty Warzone games in a row mm. while playing together on Friday night before the game, and he believes that that created the chemistry they needed to excel against the 49ers. Do you buy that? Hmm. I do think it's funny that we clown Kyler Murray for this, but then for the Chiefs, it's like, no, it's a good thing. <laughs> um, no, I do not believe it. But well, I guess uh, let's play a little sports psychologist here for a second. I mean, you know you how need, they have the same chemistry to play together. In any, yes, you do you know, in Call of Duty and football. Anything. Yes, and also you know how they have the saying like "look good, feel good, feel good, play good," all those stuff. Sure. Whatever. I, that's not the full saying. So you feel good about feel good, play zone wins. Essentially, yeah. is is the bit that I want to look at here. So if you feel good about something together, if you're in a good mood and you're all jovial together, and you yeah. feel that camaraderie and teamwork, like it can't hurt. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, that that did feel like a Chiefs game where everything that the Chiefs basically did this offseason, when you get rid of Tyreek Hill and you reshape the offense a little bit to be more about, hey, we want to be more predict or, or less predictable and uh, you don't know who's going to get the ball and we're going to have a bunch of different guys that can do different things and so it's going to make us even open up the offense a little bit more. We hadn't really seen it to this point. In fact, there were questions to the opposite of it that I've even had myself about, do they have enough guys to beat man-to-man coverage? Well, you played the 49ers who had the number one defense in the NFL by yards allowed per game, yep. and you torched them. You you scored over 40 points. Mahomes had over 400 yards. Even the running backs, the, the big three that you have there, had 75 rushing yards between the three of them. I think that what we saw on Sunday is 
everything that you could hope for from this offense and more because it wasn't just one guy going off. It was multiple guys going off. Well, and and listen, to the argument of who's going to get open in man coverage, Travis Kelsey is open (laughs) every play. But you need multiple guys. Every single play (laughs) is open. Every play. He got held into oblivion on a route against the 49ers, and he was still open. He still got open. He's open every play. I do agree. And it it seems like um, they've started to unlock a bit more with, like, back shoulder fades which that's a man-beater on its own. And if you have that chemistry with I – because mean, Juju and Marcus Valdez-Scantling are big-bodied receivers, so like yeah. they're, they're going to be able to make those plays if you can put it on him and, and you kind of work that chemistry together. It seems like – again, I, I don't want to overreact because it's just one game. We, we've seen so many times that the Chiefs offense goes off just because they are good and have talented people and have a great quarterback and everything. Um, but I do wonder if that's going to be like – especially now headed into the bye week – Yep. Like that is what's going to unlock this offense from being what was already arguably the best offense, at least one of the top five offenses in the NFL, to now the rest of the season looking like the definitive number one offense with a bullet. Jimmy G is Alex Smith light. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, they both played for the 49ers. But he's light. He's the light version. He doesn't run as well. So he's not as good. Okay. He's like, instead of getting you 10, 11 wins and getting to, to the... <laughs> to the championship game or the Super Bowl, he's going to get you like eight or nine wins, and but you might win a playoff game. did go to the NFC Championship in the Super Bowl. No. And Alex no. Smith never took the Chiefs to a, a championship. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's Alex Smith. <laughs> so is Alex Smith Jimmy Garoppolo No, light. no. That doesn't fit my narrative. Okay. Jimmy Garoppolo is Alex Smith light, but he yes. has better supporting cast. Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How about that? Well, no, he, but he's also, why did the 49ers just decide that we're going to let Jimmy G sling all game? Mm. Run the ball. Like they were they, they, yeah, the run defense drive. for the Chiefs. The run defense for the Chiefs was was really not good yeah, that at fir- all. The first drive of the game, I there was that thought that it was like, "Oh no, this is the Raiders game all over again." Yeah, Josh Jacobs ran pound the rock right yeah. down their throats all just, game. But then then for what for inexplicably, Kyle Shanahan just decided, "You know what? We have the better quarterback." <laughs> so we're going to let him throw it. It worked. For the Chiefs, obviously. But, yeah, Jeff Wilson, I mean, Christian McCaffrey looked really good in that game, yeah. uh, being able to run on the defense. Yeah, anybody who thought that McCaffrey, like, wasn't going to play a lot was just being delusional. Yeah. Like, it's not hard to learn HB dive. They're just going to hand it off to him, and then he just, you know, he does his own thing, right? But like, the defense— were acting like, well, he's not going to play. He just got there. He Jimmy G is going to turn around. He's going to hand right. it to McCaffrey. Just he's just going to run. Yeah. It's not rocket science. I mean, <laughs> my God, guys, come on. No, no. It's not like he's the quarterback and he has to learn the whole playbook. Um. The defense, I, I don't know if it was all on the 49ers. I, I do think that the defense settled in a little bit as the game went on. Yeah. The first quarter, maybe two quarters of that game, the pass rush was non-existent for the Chiefs. But second then, half, it was great. they turned it on. Yeah, I yeah. think they got, what, five sacks, something yes. like that in the second half. Yeah, they got a lot the of pressure. They got a lot of knockdowns. And, like we discussed before the game last week, they kept up what they did against Buffalo. They were sending zero blitzes and bringing a lot of guys. At Jimmy G, and it worked really mm-hmm. well, actually. Is it crazy to think that Willie Gay is the defensive MVP for this team in general? Like Chris Jones, I mean, he is, didn't really do any much against the 49ers, though. But I just, I, I think he just unlocks so much more of what you can do. Like he, you're right, he didn't have a big play or anything, and, and yeah, like Chris Jones in a vacuum is a better player than Willie Gay, and, and maybe I, I shouldn't, you know, overvalue or, or I don't know, undervalue that. So uh, maybe Willie Gay would be like next, but like I just. I see the fact that, because you're right, Willie Gay got taken out in, in certain pass coverage plays and whatnot, but having that really fast linebacker that can get out in coverage, I, I, I just feel like it 
it allows you to do so much more defensively than, than maybe you weren't able to do. I don't know. Maybe that maybe that comment I made is too strong, but like I, I think the point I'm trying to make is I, I think Willie Gay just really changes his defense. He okay. really adds to what they want to do. You know who has sneaky, sneakily, sneak sneaky had a sneaky, sneakily good uh, Good season so far. Who? Frank Clark. Yeah. The guy is like top five in pass uh, pass rush win rate, I think. I saw that today. Was that just for the game, though, or was that? No, I think that was for the season. I'm trying to find it right now, actually. He has three sacks this were, season. While you were rambling on about how Chris Jones sucks and Willie Gay is the best <laughs> player of all time, I was trying to find I was trying to find stats on Frank Clark. Well, and, and now you get the bye week, too, and the defense could get even better because Trent McDuffie could come back. Yeah, you would hope. You would hope that McDuffie comes back. And also, I mean, Fenton presumably is going to come back at some point, too. I don't even remember what Fenton's injury is, to be honest, though. No, I don't. But you saw, like, the Chiefs' corners played pretty well in that game. Even two of the bigger plays by the 49ers were just, like, George Kittle winning a jump ball. And, and even the touchdown pass, although yeah. it, they would have ended up getting first and goal because they called the roughing the passer, the, the first one of the game for the 49ers. Like, it was pretty good coverage by Josh Williams. It was just, like... Yeah. A crazy good adjustment by the receiver on kind of a an oddly yeah. thrown ball. Josh Williams, early in the season and then even in the preseason, I know he didn't look very good, but he's he, there on he's, a lot of plays. Yeah, he's he's actually been really solid. I think it's crazy though that you lose Charvarius Ward and then the Chiefs just cook him all day, and now you're sitting here with a bunch of rookie corners for the Chiefs, and you're like, man, they keep making big plays. We're okay. Well, and again, this is what the Chiefs banked on. This mm-hmm. is this is what the Chiefs like. What you could have maybe criticized them for preseason was that they basically went all in on their draft, on what they did within the draft. They basically mm-hmm. said, you know what, we think we had an excellent draft and we're just going to go all in on those guys and hope they turn pan out as rookies. And we haven't seen much of McDuffie, obviously, but Josh Williams has has really stepped up. Karloftis continues to be a guy that makes some plays. and he's Karloftis has great speed. I mean, he's in the he's in the backfield a lot. He's not getting very many stats in, from that standpoint, but... But yeah, I mean that's that's what the Chiefs did, and and in the preseason, I, I even I was a little critical of that. I was like, okay, you know, you you've you've went ahead and turned over the keys to this of to your defense specifically to some of these rookies, and if they don't play well, it's going to be bad. Well, McDuffie hasn't even played, and they've still been fine. So mm-hmm. really, and McDuffie was the one I was most worried about. Okay, the verbal meme, you know, the Drake meme, where it's like he's like. No to one thing, and then the next picture is him like pointing at yes. it, like yeah. No to Sky Moore returning punts. Yes to Sky Moore playing more as receiver. Okay, did we? Did, are we? Did we buy into the hype too much with Sky Moore? I think we did, and maybe I. Now that I think about it, like yes, I would love to see Sky Moore develop more and play more at receiver. But like if McCole Hardman, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Juju are playing like that, yeah, like who are you going to get him in too more? Far ahead of ourselves, I think we might have. Do you think we're going to look back on this? Because in the draft, I want to say Sky Moore went below George Pickens, but he did. if you remember... No, 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 no. he went before George Pickens, actually. Did he, he did go before George no, Pickens. No, I, I thought what happened was the Chiefs had the pick that they could have taken Pickens. They traded down a few spots. Pickens went, then they took Sky Moore. That might I could be wrong. That might have been it. Point being, one way or another, they could have taken George Pickens. And George Pickens, I think, has looked really good for the Steelers so far. I, I wonder in the yeah. same way that it has been very aggressively look back upon and and you look at man they took McCall Hardman when they could have had I, I forget all the receivers but it was like Terry yeah, McLaurin, it wasn't like Terry and, McLaurin and uh, there were a bunch uh, of other go- yeah. DK Metcalf right <laughs> like all, all these like Pro Bowl receivers I wonder if we're gonna look back on it the same way 
I mean, really? like, they took Sky Moore, could have had George Pickens. I, I don't think it'll be that aggressive unless George Pickens ends up being like a top two or three receiver in the whole league, right? Like if he ends up being on the level of like a DeAndre Hopkins. Well, I think it's both like ways. That, I think it's either Sky if Moore he ends up, up being that good or if Sky Moore ends up being that bad. Just ends up being, just ends up being bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could argue that he was the the pick that people were most excited about, right? Out of all the picks the Chiefs made, oh, he was yeah. the one that people were most excited about. Yeah. I don't know what to really do with that because I, I feel like they are trying to get him reps in some way, and that is one way to do it. But, like, it's a problem at this point. That, the second muff well, punt, okay. there have been too many that he's just kind of misjudged. Let's, let's, let's talk punts here for a second. Okay. okay. Real talk. If the punt is in, especially for the Chiefs, mm-hmm. okay, and this might apply to all scenarios, but especially for the Chiefs, if the punt, if you're the punt returner and you're inside your own 10, why are you trying to field it? Just let it go. And that's let been kind go. of a theme. Let let it go. Like, please. The Chiefs have an elite offense. It doesn't matter if they have to go 90 yards, 95. It doesn't matter, right? But you know what does matter? When you drop it and you get the Niners the ball back at the 10. Mm-hmm. Just don't even try to field it. And I think that applies to all teams, really. Like, the risk of trying to field a punt like that when you're and and you and you're already going to be backed up anyways. Just let it go. Just let it go. Cuz how many times have we seen how many times have we seen the gunners mess around and accidentally knock the ball in the end zone or not get it in time or whatever? Like those end up being touchbacks more often than not anyways. Just let it go. Yeah, I let agree. But I think that's part of deciding who no, needs I'm not to be back in, there. I'm not saying frozen. I'm just and, saying let it go. You know, I, I don't know what the right answer is of who you put back there. We've seen McCole Hardman do it in the past, and he's done it pretty well. He muffs punts, though. At Just don't put anyone back there. Yeah, That's my just solution. let it go wherever it drops. No, they just need somebody I mean, with secure when hands. When you have the Chiefs, does it matter? But that's what's weird, because that's the thing like that Sky Moore is supposed to be good at, having secure hands. So I, I don't know what to do there, but I, I think that needs to be off the answer, because the, the beginning of that game was definitely starting to feel a little bit I like mean, the Colts game of like, uh-oh, here comes special teams gaffes again. You missed well, the field goal. Jimmy Jimmy G gifted him, though. He, he gifted him back. Yep. So. Actually, you know what's crazy on that? Out of that scenario, the Sky Moore fumble, the Chiefs, it was the exact same as if he would have caught it, except they lost like 10 seconds. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's true. So they didn't even, it was, it was wiped away. And then they had... The kind of bit of that missed field goal at Butker. I don't know how to like through physics explain how that missed. <laughs> what do you mean? It just... Like off his foot, it was like straight as an arrow, and then like halfway to the goalpost, it just straight right. You think they have like a fan in the stadium? Well, I don't know. I mean, how do you explain that? I mean, listen, I'm not a, you know I'm not a phys- I'm not a physics guy. You know, in fact, physics is the only class I got. There's see a word in. for it, physicist. Oh, <laughs> not just physics guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although, listen, I like that better. Like said, that would be my title if I was a physicist. Listen, I'm just the physics guy. <laughs> There's a reason that I got a I got a C in my high school physics class. I didn't take physics, so more power to you for even doing it. Oh, it was terrible. It was a grinder. <laughs> yeah, it does not it sound was so fun. tough. I was uh, trying to calculate the speed of planets, and like the planet is going 17,000 mm. miles an hour. <laughs> it's well, like, you doesn't know, make sense. You know whose speed and mass makes him not fun to tackle? Isaiah Pacheco. Runs like so hard. That was good. What did you think of him starting at running back in the running back First rotation? Well, it does. We got baited. Yes, we did. We got baited so hard. He was starting, but then we still saw McKinnon and Clyde just as much. Nothing changed. Now, what did change was later in the game, Pacheco did come in and get some runs. Yes, that did change. 
But yeah. we got we got baited with the whole starting stuff. It was Clyde after the first drive. It was like mostly Clyde, and then Clyde had the the rushing touchdown. I think that's just what it's going to be the rest of the season. I think it's just going to be a rotation. Honestly, I don't care. I don't really care who it is as long as the Chiefs get a little bit of production out of the position. It doesn't matter, right? Like that's always been my take on the running back situation with the Chiefs is when you have Mahomes, you don't need a great running back, right? You just need an average running back who's a pretty good pass blocker. And guess what? That's what McKinnon is, and Pacheco is probably in the same category. Clyde, nah, maybe. I, I'm interested if Pacheco can carve out a bigger role, but yeah, I, I I'm not really expecting at this point. So yeah, I just don't care. I guess big I don't picture care who's back there as long as, had, they, uh, as long as they get some yards. Five and two, you're on a bye week. Andy Reid does really well off a of bye week. Schedule opens up a little bit at the end of the season. I think overall, besides the Colts game, you have to feel great about the start to the season. Yeah. I think honestly, like if when you saw the schedule at the beginning of the year, if oh, you said yeah. you're going five and two in the first seven, you take it. Oh yeah, for sure. I was I had talked myself into two and five, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then it turns out everybody else sucks except yeah. for the Bills. I think that that adds to it as well. Like if you would have said they're five and two after the first seven, you're like, oh man, that I would take it. But also that probably means we might be tied for first, and there might be two other teams like a game or two behind us. No, the NFL no. is just bad. Besides yeah, in the, the, if besides the Chiefs, besides the Chiefs and the Bills. And I guess the Eagles. Everybody else is just bad. They're just mm-hmm. not good. They're not good. The Chargers are a hospital. The, the Broncos suck. The Broncos, by the way, are very on pace to do exactly what I said they were going to do. They are. Yeah. And you're going to look like a fool, Derek. I I make wrong predictions all the time. Just chalk it up. Add it to the, the long list. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. Case of the Mondays coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Weekend long bender. I gotta get out of here. I think I'm gonna lose it. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. How am I supposed to calm down? Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. It is your case of the Mondays here. Before we get into that, looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering. Venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence with a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio at Venue 1235. All right, case of the Mondays. Who's feeling a little uh, groggy today on a Monday? First up would be Secrets. Because secrets are getting out everywhere. Secret scrimmages are going on all around college basketball. And as much as they're secrets, information gets out about them. Who won? You know, what was the score of this secret scrimmage? Players that stood out. KU was part of one of those secret scrimmages over the weekend for the men's basketball team. Took on the uh, Illinois Fighting Illini. And uh, according to Jeff Goodman, the best players on the floor in the game were... Well, for the Kansas side, it was Kevin McCuller. That do anything for you? Um, I mean, I think like we expect him to be a solid player. He's a guy with a lot of experience, and he's already obviously played at the Big Twelve level of basketball from Texas Tech. So, I don't think it's that surprising. No, I mean, but it's funny. You expect him to be good. So supposedly, um, what they did is they did one half 
of basketball. Okay. So, like, imagine having, after the first half of the exhibition game upcoming against Pitt State, or the first half against the, I forget who they played, the, the regular season opener. After the first half being like, okay, this was the best player. I figured it out. He's the best player on the team this year. <laughs> That's basically what that would mean. So, uh, I do expect Kevin McCuller to be one of the best players on the team. I'm not disagreeing with that, but yeah. uh, don't have too many, like, Hardcore takeaways from this gonna, game. You're not going to read the tea leaves and no, really delve. No, into I'm this not going to like start the oh Kevin McCullers winning Big 12 Player of the Year bandwagon <laughs> is basically what I'm saying. Supposedly the big men struggled for KU. Like I said, Kevin McCuller was good. I guess Illinois was winning by a point at halftime, but what does that mean? Like, okay, sure, you'd rather win the half, but again, it's a half. How many times have we seen? Any team down by a point or down 10 We're points down at half and then win, You're right? You're down 15 so, in the title game. I don't really 15. care. Uh, apparently after that, they just did like situational stuff, but you understand. Now, KU released a highlight video on their Twitter page, and I, I did some sleuthing. Of the Took scrimmage? a little bit of time. Yes. And the situational stuff. Everything they had was super zoomed in, so like you couldn't tell everything in the context going on. I did this last year with the uh, scrimmage. I think they had Tulsa last year in the secret scrimmage. I have tallied up all of the stat totals for everyone in the video. <laughs> Ernest Duday, two points, one steal. Cam Martin, two points. Bobby Pettiford, one assist. Joey Esifu, leading scorer from the video, seven points. Tied with Grady Dick for seven points. Grady Dick also had a rebound. Joey Esifu had a steal. Kevin McCuller, two points, two rebounds, one steal. The last bucket they show... I watched it many times. I zoomed in, or not zoomed in, but I like slow mode it. it yeah. You can't tell if it's Dewan Harris or Kevin McCuller with the tip in. Okay. Otherwise, that'd be four points for Kevin McCuller, or it would be two for Dewan Harris, who also had a steal. But Dewan like fist pumps, so I'm wondering if it was Dewan's point there. Okay. Uh, Jalen Wilson had two points and assist and a steal. Kyle Cuff had three points. MJ Rice had two points and a steal. And KJ Adams had two points. So here's my question. If it's a secret scrimmage, why is KU posting a highlight video of said secret scrimmage? Well, I'm glad you asked. There are certain rules about what they can and cannot share. So, for instance, they cannot share what the stats were of this game. Like, the coaches, I'm sure, have stats okay. that they have from it, but they cannot share that. They cannot share the, the full game. They cannot have people come in and basically watch the game. But they can share highlights. Of, that's why all the highlights, if you watch them, in my opinion— are probably of it zoomed in because you can't tell what's going on or what the score or the time or if they are doing a practice drill or if they are doing an actual scrimmage. So as long as they're not giving away context, you can say, hey, we're doing this or we went there or this is what happened. They just can't share. Could you imagine like if there's a secret scrimmage though and like a player got posterized, like and it was the greatest dunk of all time and nobody, and they, could, nobody see could see it? It'd be a shame. <laughs> if a player gets posterized but nobody sees it, then it happens. Uh, I say no. Has to be uh, has to be viewable for everybody else. Okay. So secrets. That's reasonable. They're secrets that aren't so secret, which is why they have a uh, case of the Mondays. Uh, Free State football has a case of the Mondays because Keisha seating is a mess. So yeah, I, I tried following this, and I, I, just, I hate this. I just kind of gave up, honestly. I was like, dude, whatever. So to be clear, Free State football is not having a case of the Monday. They just beat Olathe North, gave Olathe North their first loss of the season. Yep. They're on a, a four-game winning streak. They beat Lawrence High the week before. They're 5-3, and three, riding high into the playoffs. They were coming into the weekend. They were the eight seed. Lawrence High was the nine seed. So we were actually set to get a city showdown rematch. in the first round. Yes, a yep. rematch, but it was going to be at Free State. Keisha has a dumb rule where um, 
because there are going to be teams that don't play each other, if, let's say you have three teams tied for the same record, if one of those teams did not play either of the other two, they just throw the head-to-head part out. So even though Free State beat Lawrence High in Lawrence and have the same record as them, because there was another team in there tied at 5-3 and three with Wichita East, they were just like, ah, just throw it away. Lawrence High had the better point differential, so Free State dropped from the 8 to now the uh, 9 seed. After and now, beating the number 1 team. Exactly. After beating the number 1 team in the East, they now drop from the 8 to the 9. They now have to drive down to Wichita East for you know a couple hours for their first round playoff game as opposed to hosting and Lawrence High jumped up to the seventh seed. And they get to host. And they get to host. So again Make I, it make sense. I had some people reach out to me about this and be like, well, if you have um you know this happened there, whatnot, basically you're you're uh punishing Wichita East for for not playing the other two. Or you're rewarding Wichita East for not playing the other two. Okay, but I I don't understand why they can't just be like, hey, you didn't play those two Free State did play Lawrence High. Free State should just be locked ahead of Lawrence High. They have the same record. And now we determine, does Wichita East have a better point differential than Free State or not? If they do, they're ahead of them. If they don't, then they say, oh, does Wichita East have a better <laughs> point differential than Lawrence High? But Free State should be ahead of Lawrence High. And I don't have a dog in this fight. I yeah. I didn't attend either school or anything. I want both of them to do well. I want both of them to win this week. And I want you know both of them to go as far as they can and, and hopefully meet at some point in the playoffs. But I continue to be baffled by – that just seems so <laughs> silly to me that it's like you're punishing Free State yep. because they didn't happen to get to play Wichita East. Yes. Correct. It's stupid. The argument to me just feels like you just it just feels like you're chasing your tail. Yeah. You're just not going to get anywhere. It really does. It doesn't make any sense. Yep. Uh, case of the Mondays, people who have to pitch to Bryce Harper. He went 8 of 20 in the NLCS, carried the Philadelphia Phillies to the World Series, had that two-run home run in the eighth inning to go from down 3-2 to two to up 4-3. to three. They beat the Padres in five games. Astros swept the Yankees last night. So, um, by the way, which highly paid team do you think deserves to be more on Case of the Mondays? The Yankees? Or Texas A&M. Oh, without a doubt, the Yankees. <laughs> in July, the Yankees had already won the World Series, mm. according to pretty much everybody, right? <laughs> Texas A&M had, you know, all this five stars come in and all this yeah. money they spent on the but, football okay. team. Now they're three you also, and four. You look at it, though, I mean, who's, who who has the bigger payroll? The Yankees mm. or the or the Aggies? Mm. It's got to be the Yankees. It's close. Right? I don't right? know. <laughs> it's got to be the Yankees, yeah. <laughs> But again, they're, at least the Yankees made the ALCS. Texas A&M That's, is like... They're not going to make any. They might not make a bowl game. I don't know. That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Three and four. Uh, so now we get Philadelphia versus Houston in the World Series. It's crazy to me. Houston has gone to the World Series four of the last six years. They're kind of the new age Braves. Like the Braves in the 90s went to the World Series all the time and had all these 100-win seasons and whatnot. But they only won one title. And that's kind of been the case for Houston so far. They have the one title, but they've gone to the World Series now four times. They've gone to the ALCS in all of those last six years. Maybe they win the second. Maybe that changes here. But uh, it'll certainly be interesting because you have the the Phillies, which are the sixth seed. But they're the hottest team. They are the hottest team. And they wouldn't have made it a season ago versus Houston, who I know they wouldn't have the best overall record because the Dodgers would represent that. But I think from what we've seen in the postseason, Houston hasn't lost a postseason game so far. So if you count the postseason record with the regular season record, 
I don't know, Houston might be the better team than the Dodgers overall with the whole body of work. But Houston's pitching's insane. In the series against the Yankees, they had 50 strikeouts, 10 walks. They had a 1.5 ERA against that Yankees lineup. They are so deep at the pitching staff. They have a good bullpen. Philadelphia has just big boppers, home run hitters in the top two starting pitchers that could carry them. And it wouldn't surprise me if they win the series, but I kind of think their their heater ends here. I think Houston wins the series. The Yankees hit 173 against the Astros. Crazy. <clears throat> the Yankees. Yeah. No, that Houston. They paid a, they're paying a billion dollars son, to hit baseballs, and they couldn't even do it. It's stupid. Christian Javier, who like had an unbelievable season as a starter, like three ERA, great strikeout numbers and stuff, he was uh, – He's like their sixth or seventh starting pitcher, and they're like, sometimes we'll let you start. Sometimes we're going to have you out of the bullpen. Like Hunter Brown is this tantalizing prospect who's come up. He's kind of the same. Like they are so deep as a pitching staff. They have the front line guys with like Justin Verlander. Framber Valdez is going to finish in the top three or four of the Cy Young voting. So I'm going Houston. I'm going to go Houston in five. Okay. Do you have a pick? Do I need to pick? Yeah. Uh, I'll just ride the hot hand with the Phillies. I don't like Houston, you know. They, they may or may not still be cheaters. We don't know for sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll ride the hot hand with, with the Phillies. Plus, man, like, when Philadelphia wins, they're just crazy. They're just mm. they're just insane. They do go Probably nuts. the most insane sports town, right? Yeah. Or it's got to be up there. It's, I mean, again, like, they have always in their back card in that argument, they booed Santa Claus. <laughs> it's hard to not pick them. Case of the Mondays, anyone trying to acquire Brian Burns from the Carolina Panthers? I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't either. He had a big game. Well, he, why? Also, why would the Panthers be selling? They're going to win the NFC South. <laughs> they, honestly, at this point, it's not crazy. They're game behind. They just dominated the Buccaneers, who are tied for first. Um, Brian Burns was dominating Panthers, that game. The Panthers should trade back for Christian McCaffrey <laughs> to try to go win. <laughs> that would actually be really funny. No, you know what <laughs> they should do? They should be like, hey, Bucks, you're down on your luck. Trade us Tom Brady. We need a quarterback. Tom Brady's no. not going to go play in Carolina. <laughs> Carolina? You think he wants to play would, there? Would the Panthers... Hopefully we don't have any listeners in Carolina. Well, okay, switch switch Tom Brady with P.J. Walker or Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, whichever Panthers quarterback is, is going to be Would the rotating. Panthers be that much better? That's what I'm asking. Like, would they be? <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know. Who would be the better team? Panthers or the Bucks in that situation? Probably Brady still the Bucks. struggled, so, like, Probably I don't still know. still the Bucks. They have, yeah. The Bucks have better weapons. They have a better defense. I don't know. Panthers Probably defense looked pretty good. Bucks Probably. defense did not. Well, they looked good because they were playing grandpa. Yeah, but the Bucks defense was playing PJ Walker. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> what's their the excuse? The Bucks defense might be the most overrated. <laughs> I can get unit on board with that of any unit ever. It has all this talent and all these individual names like, we know. They were supposed to be a top one defense yes. coming into the season, and now it's they, like they're, you know they're bad. Yeah, they're like yeah, it's I don't know super kind of overblown there. Uh, but according to Adam Schefter. The Panthers declined a trade offer that included them getting two first-round picks for Brian Burns. So the first part yeah, that's of this, bad. That's bad. do you believe it? Or could it just be somebody no, from the Panthers it was probably, leaking info to Adam Schefter yeah, to try was, to rise his price? Yeah, it was No, it was probably some guy was exaggerating. He was like, dude, we offered him yeah. 20 first-rounders, and they said no. <laughs> and Adam Schefter was like, oh, okay, 20 first-rounders. Yeah, That's I don't believe was. this. Because if you remember, the report that came out from multiple people before they traded Christian McCaffrey like, was they would need multiple first-round picks for Christian McCaffrey. That yeah. was clearly a leak from the Panthers to try to get the price well, driven up. Just imagine that you're you're an opposing GM and you're trying to trade with the Panthers. 
and let's say the Panthers, you know, are are being they're haggling, right? And then you're mad because you're like, well, we just offered him, you know, whatever, right? And then you text Adam Schefter like, hey, Adam, we just offered him a thousand first round mm-hmm. picks, and they said no. I'm so mad. No, it didn't happen. To be clear, too, if the Panthers declined that, I think that'd be kind of dumb. That is really dumb. Like, okay. Brian Burns is good, but it's, like, like they're, they're he's never had double digit sacks in a unless season. It's a, unless it's a quarterback, the qu- a quarterback to me is the only position that's worth multiple. Yeah, first round like picks. think about that. Tyreek Hill went for less than two first round picks. Would you yes. rather have Tyreek Hill or Brian Burns? Like, of course, like, you'd rather have Tyreek Hill. <laughs> like, how many first round picks would you need to trade to get Mahomes or Josh Allen? A billion. There wouldn't be enough. But I'm, that's what I'm saying. Or like Justin yeah. Herbert. Or yeah, like I that. know what you're saying. But for a defensive end, especially when you're a tanky team, like they would be stupid not to do it. They're, they're not tanking. They're gonna win it. the NFC South. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, case of the Mondays. He had to publicly apologize earlier today for not remaining on the field <laughs> and sinking the eyes of Texas after they lost to Oklahoma this State. This is hilarious, man. Apparently, there's some Texas people that I guess were mad about this. So. First of all, I guess they sing the eyes of Texas, whatever, yeah. after every game, whether they win or lose. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, if you lose, you get it's off the field. Tough, you don't tough, deserve yeah. to sing a song <laughs> if you lose, okay? But anyways, some some Texas people got mad about it. Just add this to the list of things that Texas fans are soft about. First, you got hook them, horns, horns down. Now you got, oh, we didn't sing a song after we lost. And he had to apologize. You do apologize to this press conference today. Say, I'm, I, I let Longhorn Nation down. Sorry. Well, maybe it gets the talk off of the Texas just keeps underperforming, so maybe that could be a good thing. You know, it's like look over here. Don't worry about this thing. That's yeah, we're gonna right sing a song face. and go five and seven. How does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. we're gonna sing and we're gonna sing. Like, well. Okay, good. And we're gonna sing Wait, after every loss. Yeah. Uh, Case of Mondays song. for NFL officials. There was a video of a couple officials asking Mike Evans for autographs in the tunnel after the Bucks Panthers game, dude. This is bad. And already you already have the discourse about games being rigged and stuff, right? But they lost and by 18. The does, that, does that solve it at all? Well, no. What I, no, <laughs> no. I mean, think about it this way, though. Like, like let's say you're an official, mm-hmm. and Mike Evans is your favorite player. And Mike Evans is running around against the Panthers or against any team. And you want Mike Evans to succeed because he's your favorite player. And you throw the flag for P.I. just because Mike Evans is your favorite player. Are we supposed to believe that that doesn't happen? That that hasn't happened before. Um, if you're an official, you just got to be smarter than this. You just got to be on. First of all, listen, they were still in their official uniforms, so they're wearing black and white stripes. Everybody's looking at them. If you're gonna ask the guy for an autograph, at least go change first, mm-hmm. so you're not just sticking out. Yeah, but yeah, we're supposed to believe that there's no bias. I see. I don't. I don't view it as a big. I view this more as like in the same vein of. A player trades jerseys with another player after the game, maybe? No. No, 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 no. This is totally different. I just They lost by 18. It's not like they influenced. No, no, no. You're not understanding. Um, We're talking about the bigger picture. You're worried about the bigger. Yeah, Yeah. the slippery slope. What does this open up? Or No, what does this confirm what people already potentially believe? (laughs) Okay. Am I wrong? No, I I, I get what you're saying. That they're they're fans just like us. They're not by... I don't know. Gone exactly. of bias, I and guess. And yet we have flags that determine games. Uh, last thing, case of the Monday is kids who have to play against mascots. There was another video that surfaced <laughs> around of these youth football teams going up and, you know, they do a little scrimmage during halftime I or something. I really like people. this stuff. No, I hate this. And well, the, you always bring it up. Well, I, Scott Jason asked me to. I brought it up on social media <laughs> yesterday. Um, they just get decked in one of these like adult mascots wearing this giant gear that makes them even bigger 
just knocking over play. And then on top of it, this time, it wasn't just the player got decked. The player responded this time. He came up and pushed him and was like, what are you doing? Because you know what? If I was an 11-year-old and I got decked by an adult, I'd be like, like hey. The, like at the Philly Fanatics truck. I'd be pissed. Straight and the you. guy in the mascot costume starts pushing him back and like <laughs> fighting off the whole team. The whole team like surrounds him. Which, first of all, that would bring, you know, the question about like, who would you rather fight? Like, would you rather have to fight like yep. one Mike Tyson or like 10 rabid children? I don't know. Yep. But this is a, a disgrace. This if is, you, if no, this the- is the worst thing that happens in this country, <laughs> bar none. You cannot okay. let. Adults wearing mascot gear <laughs> just because they have a funny, cute-looking costume run all over children. How would you like it if on Halloween in a week I dress up and I start going and shoving over children? Is it funny because I'm wearing a cute mascot costume or is it assault? Arrest him now. Okay, that is an interesting question, though. Would you stand a chance against Mike Tyson or any boxer if you got to wear a giant... Ooh. Mascot suit, and he like because because I mean I think listen, you're still screwed. He could punch the crap out of yeah. you, obviously, but you're you Take know in order to blow. hit you, he'd have to like you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm off my soapbox. Okay. That is case of the Mondays. Karate okay, Middlebrook. Don't return punts inside the ten and <laughs> arrest people who attack children. I'll get on board with yours as long as you get on board with mine. All right, Karyla Middlebrook, assistant coach for KU Women's Basketball, joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Joined now by Karyla Middlebrook, assistant coach with the KU Women's Basketball team as the first game just two weeks out, essentially, from uh, the middle of this week. And when you have a bunch of returning players like your team has, does it make that first game a little different than in other years like normally is the first game a little bit of kind of testing the waters and tinkering with things is that going to be the case again this year um i think the first game is always just about uh being excited to play someone other than yourself and so with that you're going to have nerves you're going to have jitters you know no matter if you're a freshman a transfer or you know a senior who's been in the program for four years so uh i think just about having a lot of fun, go out there, learn your teammates still, what it, what it looks like to be under the bright lights, and, um, yeah, play through mistakes. We all know that mistakes are going to happen, and it's really about how do we play through them and learn from them. Who are some of the players who you've seen certain areas of their game maybe grow the most this offseason that you're excited to see what it does look like once we get to game action here in a few weeks? Um, I think we have a, a lot of players who have grown their game a lot. Um, you know, Tiana Jackson, she's really expanded her game, her offensive game. You know, she was known for such a defensive presence, which she's still that. But offensively, she's added some things to her bag. So um, super excited to see that come come to light. And then I think Holly Kerskeeter has added some things to her game, you know, just knowing that the defense will will focus so much on her and her understanding how to get easier shots within the system. Um, I think Iwana has added things to her game and has just become even more of a force. Um, Zakiya Franklin, she's added some range. Um, she's she's finishing around the rim a little bit better. So, I mean, I think a lot of our returners have shown growth uh, in the off season. I mean, Sana Strom, she's so much more confident. She's so much, she's, 
she's going to the rim with great strength and, and she understands her role. So, I mean, just, there's so many, there's too many. I, I feel like I'm leaving people out because everyone has really has shown improvement this off season. What types of lessons or, or maybe advice do you give as, as a former guard yourself at, at this level of basketball, do you give to some of those guards like Holly and Zakaya? Uh, really just on to the next play. Uh, that's the biggest thing. You know you're going to make, make mistakes. You know that things are going to happen. Maybe you know, you're thinking one thing and a teammate's thinking another, and it doesn't turn out the way that you thought. You just got to be ready to move on to the next play. You can't let those things build up because, you know, one mistake can, can turn into two mistakes pretty quick. Um, and then outside of that, just making the easy play. I think as a younger player, you're so eager to make the right play and make a play in general um, that you kind of force the situation. And so just kind of letting the game come to you and make the easy play and everything will, will fall into place. We are talking with Karyla Middlebrook of the KU women's basketball team. Um, in what ways, you know, does having a player like Tiana Jackson on the back row kind of help you as a guard and help those players maybe, you know, throughout the game on, on either end of the court? I mean, well, on the defensive end, it helps you be a lot more confident with your own on-ball defense because even if you're not the greatest on-ball defender, you know that um, if I get up and I'm into my man and I get beat, that, hey, I got I got twin behind me who's going to protect the rim for me. So uh, you just have a little bit more confidence to actually guard the ball. And then offensively, I mean, she's it's an easy assist. You wait for her to get her steals. You know, a lot of times she's going to have the size advantage. A lot of the time she understands her leverage and getting, you know, up underneath the defender and making it an easy passing angle for you. So, I mean, as a guard, that was especially a point guard. I'm like, I love playing with players like that. Give me a couple easy assists. Throw it up to her. Was it odd at all for you? Obviously, your journey included you playing at Alabama, then going over to Kansas State for for your final year of of school and and basketball and everything, and then going from there to to eventually coming to Lawrence. Was that odd at all, being on kind of both ends of the rivalry? No, no, it wasn't odd at all. Um, I mean, if if anything, it was kind of odd that I went to K-State, being that I grew up a KU fan. Um, So, But I loved my time at K-State. and obviously, being here at KU, I absolutely love having a Jayhawk on my chest. Uh, so it's not it's not odd at all. Um, you know, right now, I, I cheer for the red and blue. So that's, that's all that matters. <laughs> well, I love it. Um, how, how would you, because obviously, like I said, you did get to go to Alabama there. And, you know, being around a program that is so football-based, so now coming here to Kansas and, and how much they do care about their basketball. How, how would you kind of compare and contrast uh, how, how those two kind of schools and, and fan bases work? Um, you know, Bama, Bama is very much so a football school. Um, the state of Alabama doesn't have an NFL team, and so just the fact that the Alabama football team is so good, it's like the entire state rallies around it. But at the same token, they don't have a NBA or WNBA team as well. So um, as long as we were doing what we needed to be doing out on the court, the fans rallied behind us just as hard. So um, I, I, to me, there's really not a whole lot of difference. It's kind of the same thing here in Lawrence. 
Um, you know, we've been known to be a, a basketball school, and the fans are going to rally around the basketball teams, especially when we're doing what we need to be doing out on the court. Um, but as we've seen, the football guys, you know, they've really proven to be doing what, what they should be doing out in the field, and our fans have done a great job rallying, rallying behind them as well. So I think the fan support is always there. It's just a matter of, you know, the character and product that you put out there for them. So when you, you guys are on the road, what do you like to do to kind of occupy time? Read a book, watch TV, sleep? What's your go-to? Um, well, it, it depends. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we spend a lot of time meeting as a staff and just kind of making sure we're all on the same page with the game plan and, and all that. Um, but the other spare time, I like to work out. I got to make sure I get my workout in because otherwise, I don't know, it's going to be a long plane ride back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I would just say work out. I try to talk to my family before the game. And other than that, just get focused, stay locked in. How, if you had to, to go on a, a college basketball court right now, how many points do you think you could get? You said how many points would I get? Yes. <laughs> um. You know, I was never known for scoring. I was always known for my leadership and my assist. So, I'd say I'd probably, I'd probably go get um, probably six assists and ten points and about four rebounds. That'd probably be my my stat line. What's your favorite thing about the the coaching staff that you guys have there, and and just the people that are a part of that? Uh, just our chemistry. We gen- genuinely enjoy being around each other. We have good conversations, whether that's you know basketball related or not. Um, and so that's it's so critical being in this field and how much time we spend together that you just genuinely like the people that you work for. We um, we all have you know the best intentions and we all learn from each other. You know, it doesn't matter that I'm the youngest on the staff or you know. Coach Brandon's the oldest. Like we all find ways to learn from each other, and so it makes it for a really good working environment. Who who's the funniest of the coaches? The funniest, yes, uh, probably hands down Terry Nooner. <laughs> and who? Uh, uh, which coach uh, is is the wisest or the smartest? Do you think? I mean, we're talking like life here. I mean, Coach Brandon has the most experience of in life and coaching and all that, so he he has to take the take the cap for uh, wisest. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing, I'll leave you with here. Uh, what do you think the identity, or, or what do you think when people play KU women's basketball this year, that you guys want them to take away that that they say? that was a that team or, or that, that team played that style, that team played that way, or that team played hard or whatever it is. Uh, what What is it that you guys want your identity to be this season? Uh, you know, I hope people walk away after playing us saying that we were a very disciplined team, a team that played with an extreme amount of heart and a, a well-balanced team. I think those three things are going to be the key to our success this year. She is Karyla Middlebrook. She is a KU Women's Assistant Basketball Coach joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Appreciate the time, and uh, good luck this season. Thank you, Derek.
That was Corilla Middlebrook, again, assistant coach for the KU women's basketball team, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. NFL Monday overreactions next. Quarter till five. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to have our KU offensive notebook coming up at the five o'clock hour. Some more Lance Leipold and KU player audio to share with you. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll have even more Lance Leipold audio to share with you as well. Uh, but it's a Monday. It's overreact. NFL Monday overreactions. What do we got this week? Oh, we got some juicy ones for you there. Let me just, uh, okay, here we go. All right, this first one, I love this. I think this is awesome. Here we go. The Super Bowl should not be played, and they should just give the championship to the AFC title game winner by <laughs> default because the NFC is so bad. Uh, Not an overreaction. No. Well, yes, the Eagles still do exist. I still think the Cowboys are really good. So, it, yes, it's a little bit of an overreaction. But to this point, whoever wins the AFC is going to be favored. For sure in the Super Bowl. Even if the Eagles are in the Super Bowl, assuming that there's not like, like sure, if if Tua and the Dolphins went on some magical run and got the seven seed and then somehow found the way in the Super Bowl, yeah, they won't be favored. But realistically, the teams that will make the Super Bowl from the AFC, whether it was Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen with Buffalo, like they're going to view that as the storyline and those teams will be the favorite. Even if the Eagles are, are like 15 and two, if the Bills are 13 and four, the Bills are still going to be the favorite in that game. Yeah. Yeah, so sure. I do think that the AFC will win the so they championship this year. Not cancel the Super Bowl. No, they shouldn't cancel the Super That's Bowl. That's an overreaction. It is, but <laughs> but the same way this past year, right? The Rams played the Bengals in the Super Bowl. But realistically, what did a lot of people say? They said the Bills Chiefs was actually the game that was the the two best teams in the divisional round from this yeah. past year. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I could see that being the case for the AFC championship. But you don't get anything if you're no, you don't. The title game. You, you don't, don't get anything if you win. Anyways, you're gonna win the Super Bowl. Well, you, should, I mean, you get the Lamar Hunt Trophy. They should cancel it. Just <laughs> give the. They should just secede and be like, you know what? The AFL and the NFL were separate at one point, and we joined the NFL because you guys had more resources and and stuff. Now we're leaving you. You prove yourself <laughs> to us. All right. On that note of the NFC being bad, will the Bucks win a playoff game, or I guess? The overreaction is the Bucks will not win a playoff game. I don't think this is an overreaction. I'm not even sure they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, they suck. But then again, their division's so bad. I the mean, Panthers, man. Panthers are going to win the division. Or the Falcons. The Bucks go 8-9, and nine, and that might win the division. <laughs> All, everybody's 3-4 and four or below right now. Yep, yep. The Saints aren't out of it. I, the Saints have looked terrible, but like, yep. I don't know. Maybe Jameis comes back, and they get to seven wins, eight wins, <laughs> and they're, they're in discussion there. All right, how about the Packers? Well, the Packers won't make mm. the playoffs. They're going to miss the playoffs. So the Packers is more likely not to make the playoffs because the Packers have the Vikings in the division who look good. They're 5-1 and one right now. I would imagine the Vikings are going to win that division. So the problem for the Packers is that if they win nine games, if they go 9-8, and eight, they don't get in the playoffs. If the Bucs go 9-8, and eight, they probably win their division. And the sad part of it is the Bucs would not only win their division in that scenario, they would host a playoff game. And even if the Bucs are 8-9, and 9-8, if you're hosting a playoff game with the experience they've had and Tom Brady's your quarterback in the playoffs, they're on their run to the Super Bowl, if yeah. you remember, they almost lost to Washington they did. in the wild card round of that year they won the Super Bowl. Like they they literally almost lost. Okay, so which of those do you think is more likely? The Bucks not winning a playoff game or the Packers not even making the playoffs? 
I kind of think it's the Packers not even making the playoffs. Well, because at this point, it seems like it's the Vikings division to lose. Yes. So the Packers then would have to get a wild card, which is doable. but Doable, but the way they look, man. I mean, oh, they're bad. losing to they the stink. Jets, Giants, and, and Washington, uh, the Commanders. I mean, yeah, they stink. Which I guess in, in a vacuum, we could say, oh, the Giants isn't a bad loss. They're 6-1, and the Jets are 5-2, and two, even though those teams are probably worse than the record indicates. But yeah, the, the 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 commanders one is is bad. There's no, there's no way to explain that one. Yeah, yeah. All right, next up, Taylor Heineke. He's better than Aaron Rodgers. He just beat him. Is he better? Well, he's definitely better than Carson Wentz. I don't think that's that crazy. By the way, Carson Aaron, Wentz will be the starter <laughs> the when he shot, comes back. But. The shot of Aaron Rodgers just like pathetically laying with his face in the turf after they lost. Yeah, I so, thought on watching it sad. live, I was like, oh no, is he hurt? No, he was just dead. He was just, just sad. He was just trying to come to terms with the fact that he just lost to Taylor Heineke, <laughs> who was the superior quarterback. Oh, man. Obviously, like, if you're talking, like, legacy-wise, like, of course, Aaron Rodgers is, is better. But basically, the question you're asking is, is right now, is the 2022 version of Taylor Heineke better than the 2022 version of Aaron Rodgers? I like Taylor Heineke. Like, if he's your backup, I think you feel great about it. I think he's better than probably some starters in the NFL. I mean, I just said he's better than Carson Wentz. Because yeah. one of the things that Taylor Heineke that I can appreciate, there's a lot of NFL like back-end starting quarterbacks or backups who, like Chase Daniel is, is king of this. When he comes in, everything's going to be checkdowns. Yeah. He's not going to make a big mistake, but it's going to be frustrating and boring to watch. Taylor Heineke is not that. He, he'll throw risk of, of making an error. I mean, there were, I think, two plays in this game where Green Bay had a, a defensive touchdown, but it got called back because of penalty. He'll put the ball at risk, but he's going to make some some fun plays that you see like the top-tier quarterbacks make, which is cool. In the game, Aaron Rodgers, 23 of 35, 194 yards, 5.5 per attempt, per, and uh, Taylor Heineke, 20 of 33, 201 yards, 6.1 per attempt, two touchdowns, one interception. Aaron Rodgers is still better than Taylor Heineke, but the fact that I'm even entertaining this tells you how bad it has been for Aaron Rodgers in the first seven games. And, like, if you want to make the argument, oh, but but Aaron Rodgers doesn't have any weapons. Okay, well, I understand, but what does Taylor Heineke have? I mean, Terry <laughs> McLaurin is really good, but, yeah, like, yeah. Carson Wentz hasn't been able to utilize Terry McLaurin. Who else do they have? It's like Armani Rodgers versus Amari Rodgers among the two teams? <laughs> I don't know, man. Aaron Rodgers does not look good anymore. I, I don't think Aaron Rodgers right. There's no way you could say at this point in time, and the track record shows that he could easily turn it around. So I'm not saying it's like a for sure thing. But at this point in time, Aaron Rodgers is not a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Not even by stats. No. No. All right, the Bengals, they're back. We thought the Bengals were going to finish last in the NFC North. We're, we don't really know what to think about them. This week, they're back to being one of the top teams in the AFC. Overreaction? No, I don't think so because, like, if you're going to say they're better than the Bills or the Chiefs, I would push back on that. I think the Bills and the Chiefs are better than the Bengals. But what's the next tier of teams that we're looking at there for? It's, what, Chargers? But I don't, they, they keep charging. They, they lost to the Seahawks <laughs> by two touchdowns. The, the Ravens? The Ravens, but they... You know, the, the Dolphins. I guess you could say I the guess, Ravens because the Ravens I guess beat you them head to head. Put the Jets in that category too. I guess, but I th- come on, I'm taking the Bengals over the Jets, right? Are you, I don't know. Are you? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I think so. I, th- I think for me, the Bengals are the third best team in the AFC. I mean, the, the passing offense has been explosive the last two weeks. Joe Burrow put up a big one. All three of their top receivers, Tyler Boyd, Jamar, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins, studs, and they went off in that game against the Falcons, who were previously unbeaten against the spread. Bengals are back. 
They've just, they've just done it throwing the ball, which I appreciate. They're coached for the longest time. First and second down, it'd be like run it into the dirt with Joe Mixon. <laughs> He'd pick up two yards each play, and then you rely on Joe Burrow to make a play, which a lot of times he did. They've kind of switched it up these last two weeks. They're letting Joe Burrow air it out and throw more on first down, which, hey, what do you know? They're better because they have a really good passing game. The Detroit Lions, they could be 5-1. and one. Overreaction? <laughs> They're 1-5. They could be 5-1. and one. You want to go through their, their schedule? Yeah. All right, so they start it. the year with a three-point loss against the Eagles, mm-hmm. 38-35. Could have won that game. They beat the Commanders. They were up against the Vikings for a majority of their third of their third game. Lost 28-24. Pretty close game. They lost against the Seahawks, 48-45. <laughs> what was a crazy game. Could have won that one. The Patriots lost, 29-0. Okay, yeah. And then the Cowboys, they're down 10-6. They got the ball yeah. at the one, and they fumble, and the whole thing unravels. Yeah, the final score was not indicative of how close of a game that was. They were was. about to take the lead in the fourth quarter. So, is it an overreaction to say that the Detroit Football Alliance could be 5-1 and one right now? I mean, I think you just pointed out why it's not an overreaction. But also, I think sometimes we do this with NFL teams where, like, if every you're, if game... If you're a bad team, you lose close games. Yes, because that's the thing. A majority of games in the NFL are close. These are still professionals. Even the worst teams are still, like... Like, there's not that big of a difference between the team who finishes... You know, five and twelve versus the team who finishes nine and eight. There's really not. It's just yeah. you had a couple things swing usually your way. It, yeah, usually it's you won close games or yes. you lost close games. Exactly. And so how much of that is you're just slightly better, so you come through in the clutch? How much of it is a little bit of luck? Maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. So you're right. It's 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 possible. But here's a fun one. Imagine this. Imagine a world where they don't win all of those. Let's just say they beat the Vikings, the Eagles, and then they win the Cowboys game. So at that point they're sitting at four and three. But they have wins Against over the, the Eagles, Vikings, and Cowboys. Yep. What would we be saying about them right now? Oh, boy, I don't even We'd know. We'd be like, they're giant killers. We'd be like, you don't want to play them in the playoffs. <laughs> that would be that would be crazy. Mm. All right, the Baltimore Ravens. They will get the one seed in the AFC. <laughs> AFC or the AFC North? In the AFC. They're going to get the one <laughs> seed in the entire AFC. You want to go through their schedule? Yeah. They're, in their next, like, nine games, seven of them are against teams that have two wins or less. Oh, man. Well, they finished the, last in the division last year, so this is the the rewards they're here. So heaping. here's their upcoming schedule. They do have the Bucks on Thursday Night Football, but they don't look very good. The Saints are two and five. That's the next game. Then the Panthers, also I think the Panthers also two and five. The Jaguars, they're two and five. The Broncos, they're two and five. The Steelers, they're two and five. The Browns, they're two and five too. I think uh, or they they have three wins. The Browns might have no. Three they're wins. two and five, but okay. by then I believe Deshaun Watson will be back. The Browns, the Falcons. And then the Steelers again. That's the remaining schedule. Dude, that's really bad. That's, that is the remaining schedule. I, I went into this oh, thinking. Oh, plus the Bengals. They finished the season at the bank. I went into this thinking this was crazy, but now after looking at that, I'm like, yeah, legitimately. Is it an overreaction to say they could be the one seed overall? No, I don't think it is after looking at that. Because they're 4-3 they and three right now? They could finish 13-4. and four. They're 4-3 they're and three right now. Yeah. Yeah, 4-3. and three. They could finish 13-4 and four against that schedule. Now, I could see the Bucks bouncing back a little bit this week. I, I thought that last week, though, too, and then you lose as your two-touchdown favorite, so maybe not. Um, maybe you just say they lose at the Bengals and they lose one that they're not supposed to. They finish 12-5. and five. I do think that the Bills are going to get 13 or 14 wins, so that would be the mark. But, yeah, I don't I don't think 13-4 and four with that schedule is out of the realm of possibility. Even in the the Ravens' three losses this year, all games they probably – I mean, if you want to play they that with the they Lions. They should have won. They should have won. They should have beat the Dolphins. They were up multiple scores in the fourth quarter. Bills, they were up, what, like 20-3 to at halftime, something like that? Giants, they were up 
20 to 10 in the fourth quarter. So, yeah. you know, bad teams blow leads in the fourth quarter. So you don't expect that to maybe just completely go away, but also if they just fix that one thing about them and they have the easy schedule, it wouldn't be crazy for them to finish 12 and 5 or 13 and 4. No, I don't think that's an overreaction. Christian McCaffrey would have won the MVP by now if he always played for the 49ers. Ooh, I like this. Okay, so first of all, Christian McCaffrey has had a couple seasons where he has put up like 2,000 scrimmage yards, but he's not even in consideration because the Panthers just haven't been good. If you put him on the 49ers, some of those teams that have had so much success, and he's doing that, he's got a shot at it. It still is a quarterback-driven award, but then add to the fact that like Kyle Shanahan uh, just developed such good running offenses and run-blocking schemes that he might even put up more yards than he would have in Carolina. And the way that he's used Debo Samuel, like you probably use Christian McCaffrey in some of those ways. Um, I still don't think it happens because, like I said, it is such a quarterback-driven league and award that we just rarely see those guys win it. But I mean, what would a running back mm. have to do to win MVP? Like Derek how many Henry, yards? How Derrick many Henry didn't even win it when he had like 2,000 yards, right? Yeah, like how many yards, how many touchdowns? What, what would a running back have to do? It would have to be one of two things. Either he would have to break the rushing record and probably rushing touchdown record in the same season. So, like, 2,200 yards with, like, 30 rushing touchdowns. But also, if in that same year a quarterback had, like, 55 passing touchdowns, might still not be enough. The other thing is he just has to be on, like, if he runs for 2,000 yards or he has 25 all, or all-purpose yards or yards from scrimmage and he happens to be on the number one team in football, like, they go 15-2, and two, I could probably get it done. Are you sure? I think that would. But no, you're right. I mean, what if another team goes 13-4 and four and, again, their quarterback lights it up? It is a quarterback-driven award. So uh, I think it's a bit of an overreaction just because of that kind of inherent bias for anybody against quarterbacks. And maybe it's not even a, a bias because the quarterback is the most important position. But he certainly would have been closer to winning one. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. All right, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> that was a good round. I like those. Those are NFL Monday overreactions with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. Some more KU football talk coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in. 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here. We've got some more Lance Leipold audio and some player audio to get to you. Coming up in about 20 minutes from right now. KU falls to Baylor over the weekend, 35-23. to We talked about it a little in the open. If you missed any of it, you can check it out on the Best of RCST podcast. But we're going to segment this stuff out. We're going to have our KU offensive notebook for that game and looking ahead to uh, the bye week here for KU. It was just a terrible first half, and this goes for the team overall, but the offense as well as we do our offensive notebook here. Really promising second half. So if you if you separate the two, it's just complete opposites of each other. Um, but, you know, overall, you just couldn't run the football. And the Oklahoma game, you had a couple big runs. You did have several that ended up being stopped short, but overall you were able to kind of run the football you weren't able to do anything against Baylor. And I don't know what to take away from that. I don't know if I should take away from that that when KU isn't running a majority of their kind of triple option look, they're not as effective because, A, that's just going to stress the defense more. B, it gets more guys involved in the run game. C, it's just it's just tougher to defend. Um, or if that's just uh, 
you know, Baylor has really talented players in their front, like Siaki Ika is an all Big 12, possible all American nose tackle that's going to plug things up up the middle and makes life hardest on maybe your best offensive lineman with Mike Nowitzki. So what do you kind of make of of the offensive running game struggles? Yeah, it's, it's the first game, excuse me, that we've seen the offense not be able to run successfully, right? Like even there's been some games where like even Iowa State, for instance, they weren't effective, but they were still getting three, four yards of carry. In this game, nothing. Nothing was working for them. 56 total rushing yards in the game for KU. And, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think... I definitely think you can write this off as just kind of a one-off game. Like, we expect the run game to be to continue to be the strength of this team for the final third of the season. So, I, I don't necessarily read too much into it. I mean, obviously, on top of that, you got down by a lot early, so that kind of took away your ability to try to control the game through the run when you're down by 25 points. So, kind of two facets to there. But, but also, we know Baylor's defense is pretty strong. Like, I think Baylor, their defense across the board is – is good but not great at pretty much all three levels, right? And KU has faced some great defenses. They faced some bad defenses. But this is this is the one, the first one they faced, and Andy Kolnick had talked about it. This is the first one they faced that does a really good job of staying in their identity. And Andy Kolnick, he's talked a lot about how the KU game plan offensively is dictate to the defense and make them, you know, do not do what they want to do. Well, when you got a defense like Baylor that has is – really strong identity of what they've been doing, that was tough for KU. And they were unable to really shake Baylor from what they were trying to do in the run game specifically. And it showed. But, yeah, I don't know that I want to read too much into it. I still think KU's run game is the strength of their offense and it will continue to be for the remainder of the season. But it was definitely disappointing. Definitely disappointing. Yeah, so I don't know what to make of that kind of moving forward. But I, I would imagine if Jalen Daniels does come back and you are able to run more of that triple option game and you are able to have more success with the read option because he's better at it that's certainly going to help the running game but I, I do have questions about you know what does happen if Jalen comes back and let's say Jalen comes back at 80 percent are you really going to be able to do the same things that you were doing early in the season or do you have to protect him from certain hits well I've argued you have that you should not let him be in until he's 100%. If that's the case, until yeah. Know, until you know that he's ready to roll. Yeah, because basically the idea there is not only are you getting an 80% Jalen Daniels, but then that means at that point you're getting a incomplete KU offensive playbook. Yeah, so it works exactly. in, in, in two ways there. Um, exactly. It's just, it, it's tough. And if you're going to rely on, on Jason Bean because you're going to be in all these third down and eights, it's obviously going to make it more difficult on him. Obviously, the offense is going to be more one-dimensional and, and predictable. What's crazy is Kansas ended up being not too bad on third down no. for the game. Like they no. were six of eleven on third down in the game. But I think that goes back to to what we've kind of talked about with Jason. Mean you have a, a lower floor and a higher ceiling to where if you're in a lot of third and eights, you're going to be more susceptible to both of those because Jason Mean at his peaks is going to be able to convert a lot of those with a lot of amazing plays. Yeah, yeah. But that also means you're putting even more reliance on. What could happen in the first half, which is you lead to a lot of three and outs. So that's that's kind of the biggest difference with the running game there. Um, as far as Jason Mean goes, overall, really good game. His QBR was over. An, yeah, I think he has the second or third highest QBR over the last couple of games in the Big 12. Yeah, and, and you continue to think that KU is, uh, especially for a backup quarterback, this guy has been awesome. Um, 
but obviously there are still certain things that you miss without Jalen Daniels, like the read option game, as I mentioned, that that's something that kind of narrows your playbook a little bit. It feels like to me, I, I know that Andy Kotelnicki has talked about that stuff that yes, it is the same playbook and we're doing, but that doesn't mean you're calling the same plays. Like maybe you have the ability that you could call that same play, but you're thinking in your head, Hey, maybe we run this three times with Jalen in there. We might run it once with Jason Bean, just because you're, you're doing plays that are going to be more beneficial to a specific skill set. And it does kind of at times to me feel like Jason Bean was given keys to a different car than Jalen Daniels. Like Jalen Daniels was given the keys to a Mercedes, whereas uh, Jason Bean at times it feels like he was, you know, given keys to a Chevy Malibu or something. Um, just because you're not seeing that full triple option. But again, I don't think it's because KU has just like abandoned it for some reason. I think it's because that skill set maybe doesn't work as well with with Jason Bean. The the reading in general, I think, is is not quite there. The processing is not quite there to the level of where Jalen Daniels is. Jalen Daniels is really good at, at making quick reads, making quick reactions. So that doesn't just apply for the passing game. That applies for the read option game. And that applies for the triple option game. Do I give it to the, the first guy? Do I keep it? Do I pitch it? When do I pitch it? Little things like that that go into running that style. And that's not Jason Bean's forte. No, no, it's not. And, and again, the turnovers, as we talked about earlier, were an issue again for Kansas. You can't fumble on the first play of your drive. You just can't do it. There are two play. There are two places where you. I mean, you don't want to fumble ever, but you don't want to fumble on the first play of your drive, and you don't want to fumble in the red zone. And KU has had troubles with that in both cases. Uh, if you remember, go back to the Duke game, I think, or Iowa State, where Kansas they it was Iowa State muffed a punt, right, and then Highshaw fumbled when he got hurt, and Iowa State got it right back, right. Yeah. So I was like on the first play of the drive after they had a big play and. Same thing happened here against Baylor where Baylor goes down and scores, Kansas gets back, and they fumble on the first play with Quentin Skinner. And I don't want to dog on Quentin Skinner too much because he ended up making a great play later in the game, and it's still been phenomenal this whole season based on our expectations, right? But, man, that's 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 tough. And I know you have a message for, for Kansas about fumbling, right? Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it anymore. We brought it up a couple weeks. I, I feel like we brought it up multiple times. Because even in the early going, like you mentioned, I mean, there were there were fumbles. You mentioned the high shot one against Iowa State, the high shot one against Western. Like, we, we've said it a long way. Like, stop fumbling. Eventually, it's going to come back to bite you. And it, it did against TCU. Yep. And we mentioned it again. We said, stop fumbling because it came back to bite you. And what did they do against Baylor? They didn't listen to us, Nick. They did not. I know. I mean, I, I mean listen, honestly, I wouldn't listen to me most of the time, anyways. But <laughs> on the fumbling subject, listen, stop. <laughs> I know uh, Lance Leipold addressed this at a media availability a couple weeks ago, and he said, I mean, we're drilling it. Like, we do all this stuff. Not enough. I just, I, I don't know. Like, maybe it's just a skill thing. I, you got to, like, uh, at like five, okay, you make them go to bed with footballs in their arms, and then randomly in the middle of the night, you just jump on them and try to rip it out. <laughs> How does that sound? I don't know what you do. <laughs> I really don't. I right? almost, I, I feel like it's sort of like, free throws in college basketball where it's something that as a coach you're you're a little bit like you want to work on you want your team to do well at it and, and you do practice it but you also don't want to overemphasize it where you get in people's heads i wonder if yeah. it's similar to that could be i like my idea well point is either way stop fumbling yeah <laughs> that'd be nice um 
Trevor Wilson's usage was was super notable. Obviously, he had the off the field stuff, and then yeah. de facto suspension for the indefinite uh, amount of time that that he wasn't with the team. And he came back just last week, and he, he already logged snaps, I think, last week. Yeah. And uh, obviously, this week got a much bigger role. Now he wasn't on the field like a super amount; it was like fourteen snaps. But when he was in there, he was. He was definitely uh, a part of the offense. He had a couple catches. He had the deep ball grab. He has always had a good connection, I think, with Jason Bean, and you saw it on that deep ball there. I was a bit surprised to see I was too. his usage because the rest of the receiving core, as we've as we've highlighted pretty much every week, has been playing really, really well. Mm-hmm. Right, So for him to miss the amount of time that he missed because of suspension and then to come back and try to work his way back into the, into the lineup, I thought it would take longer. I thought, you know, when you consider Lawrence Arnold, Luke Graham, Quentin Skinner, even Tanaka Scott, like those guys have been playing really well, and you've had no reason to take them off the field, right? And so, if you're tre- if you're Trevor Wilson, how are you how are you going to get on the field there? So I was I was a bit surprised. Obviously, he makes a great play though, and that's great to see. And and this wide receiving core, you know, they can definitely use another playmaker on the outside, and and so it was a good sign. But but yeah, that was that was surprising. Yeah. Oh, I, I echo everything you say. I, I was surprised by how much of a role he's been given pretty much immediately after coming off the team. And again, it's not like top two or three receiver snaps or anything, but yeah. more than I would have thought. But uh, you add it all up with, with the sum of the parts here. Between Trevor Wilson, obviously really good deep ball threat and, and a lot of speed. Quentin Skinner, big body, a lot of speed. Lawrence Arnold, big body, down the field, makes contested catches. This is like one of the better downfield throwing teams, I think, in the conference. And both Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels have big enough arms to take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. When you look around the conference, I mean, Quentin Johnston alone for TCU almost puts them at number one. Yeah. By himself. He's unbelievable. Just by himself. And then Oklahoma, eh. Oklahoma State, meh. Texas, meh. (laughs) I don't even know who else we got after that. I don't even know. I mean, that, I mean, they've got to be up there. Yeah, and, and they hit them every week. They hit these deep balls every week. They hit them a couple times against Baylor. That's really helpful when you can hit big plays and not have to just grind up and down the field every single time. You need some of those to continually move the ball. And uh, Jason Mean throws such a catchable deep ball downfield. Jalen Daniels has such a strong arm. They've been able to take advantage and – that's low-key been one of KU's best skills, I think, offensively, that they can just win those those deep balls downfield. Uh, speaking of the usage with Trevor Wilson, certainly thought the early usage of Savion Morrison was interesting. We heard from Brian Haney last week that he thought Savion Morrison was going to get a bigger role, and early in the game, that was the case. Yeah. And then it just kind of disappeared, partially because, obviously, they couldn't really run the ball. Um, nothing. No carries for Kai Thomas. Certainly interesting. I still think... Really, maybe the biggest thing you could take away from this game for KU is the resiliency of their of the offense, right? We we haven't really talked about it as much, but early in the season we talked about it a lot. Where previous iterations of KU football would not be able to get up off the mat after getting knocked down the way they did, certainly against Baylor, right? Like they would it would have just been a collapse, right? And early in the season we saw it, you know, against West Virginia, against Houston, bouncing back. But then they played a series of close games where they had that hadn't really happened, right? Obviously they'd still been tested in terms of their resiliency, but but now we saw it again against Baylor. We saw a situation where things did go very badly, like worst case scenario badly, right, in the first half. And the offense was able to get themselves up. 
and still rally and 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 come back in the game, right? And even had a chance to win. They got it got it down to a five point game late in the game. So to me, that's probably one of the bigger one of the most bigger positive takeaways you could still have from this game. Of hey, you know, this is an offense that they're not just going to roll over and give up, right? If they get knocked down, I mean, that's that you can definitively say that one hundred percent. It's happened in multiple games where they have gotten back up and rallied in a big way, and so. That's very positive for KU when you consider the fact that when you consider that, that means, okay, they're going to be have a chance to win every game then from here on out, right? This offense has shown you enough to where you can say the Jayhawks are not out of any game, right, if, it's, if things are going sideways. So they're not out of it because this offense has shown they can continue to come back and continue to, to pull themselves up and, and keep fighting game in, game out. And I thought Lance Leipold, part of his audio that we'll get to was what was really interesting was he said, the, the growth of this team to where Kansas is now disappointed after a 12-point loss versus Baylor, after where after last season they were excited about a 12-point loss against Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Or a double-digit loss against Oklahoma, right? And that was Lance's big thing. Remember, that was part of college game day where he was like, we got to change this around, man. Like, these guys are cheering after a loss to Oklahoma by double digits. We got to change this around. Well, we're, we're seeing that now, right? Like, here's an example of you were resilient, you responded, but you lost, and there's disappointment, right? But that – but, like – in a weird, in a weird way, it's it's that's a positive thing, I guess, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it is because you've kind of shifted the mindset here. Um, I I've kind of said all along, I think there still can be those those moral victories this season, but that from the coach and player perspective, I don't want them to view it that way. I know that sounds hypocritical, but it's just the the idea that you want them to be developing a winning culture. But I think it's it's still possible for the fan base and, and everybody still look at this. And I said this in the open, every team you've played this year, you have played tougher than you played last season. The only one score wise that is different is you lost by seven to TCU this year versus uh, last year. You lost by three, but last year's TCU team went five and seven. This year's TCU team is the top 10 team in the country so far. Like, Again, if I just go down the list and, and cross-compare, if I compare the FCS games, you only won by three last year, you blew out um, Tennessee Tech this year. If you compare the the non-conference game on the road against a, a solid team, like you lost by 27 at Coastal Carolina, you won by nearly that much at Houston this year. Uh, you played at West Virginia and you beat them. Last year, you lost by six, so that scores better. You lost by 52 against Iowa State. Well, you beat them this year. You lost by 19 at Duke. Well, you beat them this year. You lost by 12 to Oklahoma at home. You lost by 10 this year. Baylor last year, you lost by 38. This year, you lost by 12. So every single game has gotten better for this team. And and what you're saying, too, is important about them being a team that can get back up. I think basically what you're saying is they are Chumbawamba. Do you have (laughs) any idea of that reference there? Yeah. Is that the... The the guy that I get knocked down, down and, and I get up again. Yeah, oh yeah, that's okay. on. No, it's that. Chumbawamba. Nope, I didn't. KU know football is Chumbawamba, coined by Nick Springer. That's basically what you were saying. What about how about Weeble Wobbles? <laughs> Why? Why would that? Those be guys that? are funny. They're more fun. <laughs> what does that have to they, do with KU football? They they you punch them and they they never fall down. Oh, I see what little, you're saying. The little okay. rounded round yeah, yeah. ball, f- little fat things. Okay, they're round and fat on the bottom, and they're skinny. And you, you punch them and they. <laughs> They don't fall down. So that's KU. They'll take the punches, but they're coming back for you. Um, what are your thoughts on this offense moving forward now? Because we've seen, I guess, lulls in the last two games. Yeah. But you look at 20 points in the second half against Baylor. You look at 42 overall against Oklahoma. Still a lot of positives to take away. 
when you look at yep. the final four games, like what's your expectation for what they are going to produce? I think you still have to have a lot of confidence, especially given the Jalen Daniels situation. We don't know when he if he might be able to make a comeback as soon as Oklahoma State potentially, but even with Jason Bean, I think you have to have a lot of confidence that KU, like I said, they're going to be in games. They're going to have opportunities to make plays to win games. And that's really all you can ask for from an offense. Like the fact that they're, they are able to be resilient and get back up and, and fight, like I have a lot of confidence in them. And, and like I said, I think from the running perspective, you can maybe kind of, this is kind of a washout of one time. Like, okay, I think the run game will be fine long term. It's not like they're playing any more elite run defenses left on the schedule. So, yeah, I, my confidence level in the Kansas offense has not changed. I mean, even since since they were from when they were five and zero to this three game sl- slide, my confidence in, in the offense has not changed one bit, and it hasn't. It's it's not going to change for these next four games either. Well, you look at Oklahoma State, and you know that's a team that you really struggled with last year, uh, but they've given up a lot of points this year, so you should have an opportunity there. Texas Tech again, they don't have like a great defense. Kansas State has a good defense, so that one will be interesting. Texas though doesn't have a great defense. None of those teams have like terrible defenses. No, so it's not like a an easy walkover. But the opportunity is going to be there for you to score some points. Yes, I think if Jason Bean is your quarterback in all of the games, you feel like you can still put up enough points to win one of those games, and that's the goal at this point. Absolutely, let's get a sixth win. But yep. if Jalen's in there, I think you feel really good. And I don't think it would shock me if you know they scored forty or fifty in one of these final four games. No, that wouldn't surprise me at all. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But it's going to take a full game of what they did against Baylor as opposed to basically just one half. Yep. we got some more Lance Leipold audio to share, some player audio coming up as well. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it.